soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. So you're putting yourself forward as a talking fan. I'm putting myself forward as a Michael Moorcock fan. So clearly, we need to have a fight with Stick somewhere. But we can't do that because we've got to talk about more other, a different kind of fighting with Sticks. Star Trek. Yes. Every episode, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows. And we rank them on a nice big list of best to worst in as logical a fashion as possible. And while we both love Star Trek, it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices. And as we all know, object- objective decisions is logical. Of course. And in case you couldn't guess, this episode we're having a look at one of the most popular characters from all of Star Trek history, Mr. Spock. Um, I think Spock might actually be like one of... Science fiction's earliest sex symbols in the 60s because back in the day, Star Trek had a very high fan base amongst women, and it was it was Spock who was getting the majority of the fan mail. Yeah, I had one friend whose mum was a, an obsessive about Kirk, and she was the outlier of the various yes. mums. Like, she was notably odd for that, but Spock, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. I think I think I get it. Like, I mean, if Leonard Nimoy tried to pull you, would you say no? Probably not. No. And yeah, he's been in many different incarnations, but we are nowhere near the Zachary Quinto uh, Spock era in our film rewatch. So you're going to have to suffice with some Leonard Nimoy and some other guy from Strange New Worlds who I've forgotten the name of. Ethan Peck. Thank you, Ethan Peck. He's a, he's a good Spock. He's a, he's a good Spock. He's actually um, Gregory Peck's, I believe, grand, uh, grandson. Wow. Another one of those fancy dynasties. Well, One of those more Nepo babies. It's Nepo babies all the way down. <laughs> That's, this is how on the 2023 Zeitgeist we are. We're talking about Nepo babies. Yeah, it's only, well, a, a month or two old? Several months? Yeah. I don't know. I'm old. I don't know the uh, the lifespan of these things. So, uh, Charlie, before we get going on our Vulcan escapades, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since last we spoke on the podcast? And not since last we spoke in real life? Well, I've just finished, as of last night... A four-session game of the Blade Runner role-playing game. Ooh. I I didn't expect to enjoy it anywhere near as much as I actually ended up doing. Like, I love the Blade Runner films. They're great fun. I love a bit of noir. And the thing is, when Free League announced they were doing a Blade Runner RPG, I, I looked at the copy of Cyberpunk Red behind me on the shelf and at CBR PNK and and Hack the Planet and a million cyberpunk games that are really good and Cyberpunk Red which is alright and it was like what are you going to do 
and worse is it just going to be you're a bunch of cops killing replicants in that sort of you know oh yeah that's what it's all about kind of reading like the starship troopers rpg which wore none of the political commentary and was just about killing bugs there's a starship troopers role-playing game yeah it wasn't good is it more based on the movies or is it based on the book? I asked this because the book has um, has mechs in it. I believe the book, it was mostly based on the D20 system was a set of rules that anyone could use as long as they credited with Wizards of the Coast. And then you could okay, do so it, whatever. Whatever. So it wasn't GURPS? No. no. Okay. Unlike Discworld, which is GURPS, weirdly. This isn't a GURPS podcast. This isn't a GURPS podcast. It's actually a Rifts podcast. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, that's, that's almost worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have one question about the Blade Runner RPG. Go on. Um, can you have secretly a replicant if you watch the director's cut and listen to any interviews of Ridley Scott? As a um, as a character trait. I mean, if I reran the same scenario, I could change one of them into a replicant, I guess. Um, okay, but you can in the full game you can make characters either as a replicant, a human, or I don't know. Surprise me, GM. <laughs> I love that as an option. Uh, this was just the the starter set, and the thing is. It's kind of like um, if you've ever played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. So I have not. The idea is you've got a mystery, you've got problems to deal with, and you go to crime scenes and you physically look at beautiful painted kind of illustrations of the locations and and kind of poke at things on the on the pitch, going, "Is that something? These takeout <laughs> boxes is." Is that something? And half the time, I'll have another handout and go, it is, here's your clue. <laughs> a clue popped out of the scene at you. Um, the rest of the time, I'll make stuff. This sounds like a LucasArts um, adventure game, the LARP version. Yeah. I mean, you're just pointing at stuff going, is that important? Can I click on that? There's an amount of that, but Ooh. you have to have some downtime every three shifts, and there are four in a day. Otherwise, you start accumulating stress. So guess what? The players started accumulating stress. Apart from oh. the human one of the group who was married to the job and a, a heavy smoker. So as long as, he smoked, as long as he lit up, he could reduce his stress each scene. Is this, is this Blade Runner or is this Sherlock Holmes consultant detective? Again, it's... I mean, this is... I'm okay. talking about Blade Runner, but... Yeah. <laughs> You can very easily do cyberpunk Sherlock Holmes with this. It was um, it was very impressive, very good fun, and as someone that's generally a little snobbish in the favour of indie RPGs, it's always lovely when you get some design philosophies and ideas that are a bit more out there, a bit more interesting. So while I'm not going to go for the big, thick core book, kind of thing i'm gonna keep an eye out for the next investigation that they release because you don't okay. need the main book you just need the start set and you can get all the props so yeah it 
it was a really refreshing, really nice experience for a big budget RPG. Um, Miles, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying? Oh, well, I'm going to um, quickly, I'm going to use the same amount of probably like less time to talk about two separate things. Uh, one, one is the TV show Poker Face by Ryan Johnson and Tashna Leon, Lyon, whichever, um, which has been great fun. It's very much a weekly. It's it's a murder of the week show, and in very it's very much um, kind of a spiritual successor to Columbo in a lot of the aesthetics and how the story is uh, plotted each week. But I got to be honest, um, in an era where shows are just heavily like arc based and serialized and HBO narr- and HBO narrative of 10 episodes and we're just gonna stretch our story to breaking point it is lovely to just sit down and watch an episode where it's like with the exception of the main character you're gonna get a full story in 50 minutes it's it's fun you know it's uh, been funny it's been really well done they've done some really good twists on the formula of the show by episodes four and five. So even though you know the formula going in, it has done some very surprising twists. And it's just, it's honestly amazing. The first episode is kind of the weakest because that's the one that's kind of setting up the premise. And I was watching it with my wife and she wasn't really interested, but then she caught me watching a few of the later ones. And so we've now, she got hooked and we've gone back through the the episodes she hadn't watched yet at like two a night. Wow! So when it comes to UK shores, I really advise you to kind of check it out if you, if you're listening to this in the US. If you haven't listened to it, why haven't I harangued you on um, Facebook Messenger about it yet? The other thing I want to talk about is a book nonfiction. It is called I Am the Law. How Judge Dredd Predicted Our Future by Michael Mulchar. And it is a academic work which takes the history of Judge Dredd and various Judge Dredd stories and uses talk about the rise of zero tolerance law and order policing in both the US and the UK and why that's terrifying and we should all be very worried. Yeah, that sounds really interesting and really worrying. All at once. It's it, it's one of those books where I think you need like a bottle of of Jack Daniels just to kind of pour yourself like a very a calming shot every two or three pages. Okay, that's um, good to know. Thatcher has been mentioned an unsurprising amount of times. Yeah, yeah, that's no. Shot, yeah, really. but thankfully, this is not a Margaret Thatcher podcast. Oh, sorry, just one check. Still dead. Oh, right. yep, yep, Good. hooray! Good. Um, yep. For those of you who weren't watching the feed, um, when I said, Mark, you know, this is a Margaret Thatcher podcast, I did make the sign of the cross as I did just now. I'm not hedging my bets on this one. No, God, no. No, no. Anyway. Because you know what, if Thatcher, if Thatcher comes back, it's because of us. Oh, Mayor Culpa. Don't put that on us. times lately with the podcast going down what if we accidentally reanimate that Uh, 
Right, yeah. anyway, moving swiftly on, I have the first of our offerings here. And it's an episode, of course, of Star Trek The Original Series. It's season two, episode five, titled A Mock Time. This aired on the 15th of September, 1967. It was written by Theodore Sturgeon, directed by Joseph Pevney. And the UK and US number one hits are exactly the same as one of the previous episodes where we did an original series episode, with the UK getting Engelbert Humperdinck's Last Waltz and Bobby Gentry's Ode to Billy Joe, which are pretty much exactly the same as they were there. Yeah. Yeah. I actually listened to them this time and... Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I kind of miss... You know, I don't know, I kind of miss crooners. Like, when you go back and listen to some of these old songs, I'm like, I kind of miss... Like that when singers like that could have a legitimate career, yeah, as opposed to illegitimate careers, like the you know like crooning on the docks on a Friday night kind of thing. Oh wow, those crooners! Yeah. I think it's one of those things that I would appreciate being there, but I wouldn't bother with myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this one is uh, me up for doing the recap. Okay. So, and a mock time, five minutes, engage. So, we start off with Bones being a little bit concerned about Spock. He's not been eating. And Nurse Chapel is aware of this as well. She She's bringing him some Vulcan soup. And Bones calls her out saying, oh, you're a bit fixated on Spock knowing about what he's eating. But Bones, you're doing exactly the same thing without the soup. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, Spock yells at Nurse Chapel, and he asks to go home. I get it. They've been a long journey. He's getting a bit grouchy. We've all been there. It's a five-year mission. I would also be getting a bit homesick as well. Exactly. So, yeah, but this is much worse. And the good news is Spock has the annual leave saved up for the time off. The bad news is he's insisting on going back to Vulcan rather than being dumped off at the nearest starbase. So uh, the Enterprise has to change course. And pretty much the moment they do, Starfleet sends a message over to them. And her relays that, uh, yeah, they need to change course again. They won't be able to get to Vulcan. And it's really important. Spock says he understands, but he's got all the composure of a tightly clenched fist. Kirk, concerned about his BFF, is having trouble sleeping. He calls Chekhov up on the bridge, who is still wearing a wig at this point, and it is distracting. Um, He asks if they could possibly speed up the ship, do a flyby of Vulcan, drop Spock off, and be there in Titan for lunch. That'd be great. But, apparently, they're already en route to Vulcan. Spock is also up in the middle of the night, and he's suggested going to Vulcan himself. Which is a bit odd, not consulting Kirk. Um, Kirk decides, okay, best call Spock into a meeting, find out what's up. He likes for rules, normally does Spock. And yet, somehow going over his head, as much as Kirk likes a good rebellion, it's a bit weird that Spock's doing it. Spock has no memory of setting the course. He suggests getting himself locked up because he doesn't want anyone seeing him in this state. He doesn't want to be a danger to anyone. 
Uh, Spock is sent for sick bay instead and tries to wiggle around the rules by going, I've arrived at sick bay, just like I was ordered. Now I'm going. Bones isn't having any of it. He's had these kind of uh, these kind of patients before. Uh, Sulu and Chekhov act like gossipy bitches on the bridge, which I love going, oh, God, another course change. <laughs> Do we go to this peace talk? Do we go to Vulcan? Who knows? Flip a coin, they'll have changed their minds. I want more of that. We do get bits interspersed throughout, luckily, but only for this episode that I've seen so far. Anyway, Bones reckons Spock's got maybe seven to eight days till he dies. No idea why. Best try and do whatever it is Spock wants, because he's not sharing whatever's doing this. Kirk asks Spock a bit more directly, and uh, Spock's talking around it he mentions this is vulcan biology and it's a thing that rips logic from them and relates to how they choose their mates which kirk reckoned would have been a bit logical but apparently it's anything but there's a kind of madness called the ponfar the time of mating like salmon only spock's not a salmon he's not even a man he's a vulcan and you've not got even got a minute Oh my word. So, he's been trying to resist the urges and going back home like an extreme no-nut November, but it's not working. Kirk requests another course change, gets told, no, we're not having it, and Kirk changes the course anyway, just to show what a maverick he is. Uh, Nurse Chapel checks in on Spock, and he mentions that he's been having weird dreams about her. There's a whole weird threatening vibe to this scene but she's infatuated enough with him that she says it's fine. And when he asks for some Vulcan soup, she gets it. Um, I'm in that moment of tension of it's any second now for this is going off. When is it going to got, You've got uh, 10 seconds. Okay, Nine, cool. So eight, Spock up, seven, Kirk and Bones to accompany six. him as only family and friends are allowed on Vulcan as part of the ceremony. So it's time to do that after. No, no. After no. this. God, they've not even reached for planet. Oh, man. Yeah. No, man. Uh, okay. Um, a lot longer than I thought up in in space dealing with all this. Yeah. Maybe you should have been obsessed less with um, Sulu and Chekhov being Cosby bitches, even though that scene was delightful. Oh, I love, I love a good kind of underlings right. gossiping. Okay. Uh, stopwatch starting now. Yeah. So... Just before they beam down to the planet, there's a call from Spock's wife. He's married. He kept that quiet. She's called to Pring. She's hot and Nurse Chapel is not happy about this at all. Vulcan itself is still big, rocky, like we discussed in the motion picture episode. It's a bit of a shithole, to be quite honest, aesthetically. But I get the feeling Vulcans are spending more of their time and energy making things efficient than they are making them pretty. There's a cool high fancy ceremonial circle on a big pillar with massive bridges going into it. And this is a place of marriage and challenge. Bit more dramatic than your usual registry office. Spock starts things going by banging a gong in the shape of a coffin. And Tapau, a Vulcan, not the pop group, shows up. She's Vulcan nobility. She's the first person to turn down a seat at the Federation, and I guess... Spock and or to bring a pretty well connected to get a guest star like that at your at your fancy do. 
Spring enters with a dude who's evidently still into her, following her around, called Ston. Spring decides she's going to issue a challenge. There's going to be a fight for death. But while Ston wants in on this, she picks someone else. It's Kirk! Oh no! Ston is a bit pissed off by this because he hasn't seen the long game. Spock is feeling too angry to reason. He's too ready for the uh, the slapping of sticks. And we get the da -da 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 -da. big fight, 1960s flips, hacking with a weird weapon, all sorts of stuff. Great fun. Kirk, shirt torn open, of course, as is mandatory in these sort of situations. There's a quick break in the violence as the air's a little bit thin and Kirk's not doing so well. So Bones injects him with something to help out. They get given some weird ribbons and start fighting with bows instead of a stick. Again, roll around, big fight. Spock garrots Kirk, apparently killing him. Immediately, Spock calms down, chills out a bit and says, OK, job's done. I've, I've performed the marriage deed here. Um, I'm, I'd best go to turn myself into Starfleet for murder. Um, Bones beams off with Kirk's body while Spock gets his affairs in order on planet. And he finds out to Pring, she's been a bit cunning here. Ston was willing to do the fight, but because it's for death, if Spock fights Kirk, if Kirk's dead, oh well, Spock's going to turn himself in. She's single again. If Spock dies, Kirk's not going to marry her. She's single again. And either way, she can end up with Ston. Very clever. Um, Spock beams himself up onto the Enterprise, keeps trying to hand himself in to the authorities and interrupting people that want to give him the good news. It takes Kirk himself returning and showing that he's actually still alive to stop him talking. And the joy in Spock's moment is very un-Vulcan. He chills out a bit and Bones is just going to give him shit about this whole thing. For a very long time. That end. Right. Three minutes and 43 seconds. Okay. Okay. So, Miles. I, I have never participated in No Nut November. Good. Good. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably for the best, really. Look at what it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're a married man, right? Yep. Uh-huh. Did you have to do all of this? Um, no. I had to do something uh, far more grueling and taxing, which is deal with US immigration. Oh, Jesus. That's so much worse. Like, I'll be honest, if, uh, if US immigration had pulled out, like, the American gladiators' staffs and basically said, okay, you fight this dude now, I'd have done it. It's that or go through the immigration process, one or the other. And it's expensive and it's just ruling. <laughs> it's a license to print money. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so this is that one, that episode. I don't yep. think I've ever seen it in person before. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the, the fight. But, yeah, this was mostly new. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that one. I think I've seen it, like, once or twice. And, and of course, like, the music... Is uh, ubiquitous. Oh God, yeah, yes. Being a terrible nerd child, the yelling of that in fights, um, yeah. 
especially when it's with sticks or anything. It it was mandatory and also incredibly tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Spock himself spent most of this just kind of shaking with rage. Uh, I guess a build-up of, of cum, of horniness, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's the blood fever. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. And he's not been spending it, and he's not gone home early to get this all dealt with. He's been like, no, no, I'm fine. It's all right. I can just keep going. Yeah, five-year mission. Obviously, maybe after five years, I'll go home, but I'd rather not. Yeah, this is what happened. This is the PSA for for Ponfar. Vulcans, don't do this. Don't hold out for too long. Vulcans are probably very big into edging. (laughs) <laughs> well I mean, the thing is we, as far as we're aware Spock has had sex and with T'Pring I think that's the we kind of need to talk about that when we get to like the Strange yeah. New Worlds episode um, like it, this, I think this is like one of the most iconic of mm. the classic Trek episodes because you know you got the fight you got the fight music you have the uh, the incredibly slashy Kirk versus Spock Fight, and of course, this is the uh, the the originator of the Vulcan salute, which is actually, I believe, a a Jewish symbol, like a Jewish hand gesture, because okay. Len, uh, which is where Leonard Nimoy, who was Jewish himself, uh, cribbed it from. Hang on, um, nice. But, yeah, um, just gonna quickly do some quick research now that I'm thinking about just it. Just make sure of it, you're saying. Oh yeah, um, this isn't casual conjecture after all. Um, yeah, it was really interesting seeing the Vulcan stuff and how, how you know, I like the weird space renfair kind of things. Like the Vulcans are evidently part of that. Okay, um, I got an answer for you. It is the physical representation of the Hebrew letter Shin. Um, it's it comes directly from the Torah. And represents the Jewish priestly blessing of the descendants of Aaron. Oh. Aaron is the Jewish high priest, and the sons of Aaron are priests, and not yeah. just some guy named Aaron. No, no. Uh, the only Aarons I knew, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any anything into their blessings. Really, no, they're not of the Hebrew faith. Um, no, no. And again, if they bless something, you'd worry that they'd done something to it. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. So this is... <laughs> Go on. No, I was going to say, this episode kind of proves the one thing people kind of forget when talking about Vulcans, is that Vulcans aren't inherently naturally logical and intellectual. It's mm. a, um, it is a, a mental discipline they put upon themselves. Because as we see with Romulans, um, and as we, with T'Pring, they're devious bastards. I do love that. Whenever a Vulcan can be a bit crafty and not, oh, I'm I'm a rules lawyer. I'm obviously going to try and, you know, like, 3D chess. I mean, actually, they do play 3D chess. That's a bad example. But, yeah, I'm not going to, oh, yes, tactically outthink you. No, fuck it. They'll be cunning. They'll be devious. And how they're, like, the emotions being trained out is a cultural element. Mm. Um... Yeah, again, like the space Renfair 
things. That idea of I was watching it going, this is a lot wackier than you'd think Vulcans would do. But no, no, it's like if it's part of their heritage, fuck it, go go full wacky with it. Have the giant jingling kind of all the bells. Oh ha- yeah, have the incredibly the shaky the Dutch angles when you, know, you got like the, the the shaky jingling priests. And the camera was just going hog wild insane. Oh my god, yeah, that was fun as well. Far too often you do end up seeing a lot of very static shots in Star Trek. So yeah. actually getting some some exciting views in was good. I mean, the, the fight's good, but you can tell when it cuts to their stunt doubles because it immediately jumps to like the far view. Have, have you know, let, uh, Bill Shatner and Lenny was. Um, Stunt doubles, yes, you know, just kind of doing a few backward flips. Um, apparently, in the era of TOS, um, Starfleet officers aren't trained in like hand to hand combat. They, I'm guessing, they're trained in mixed martial arts. Like they're just thrown into the into the octagon and taught how to cage fight. So, what was it? Last Unicorn Games, I think it was, did a Star Trek: The Next Generation RPG, and it was All right. it was. Fairly good. It was alright. I think it was there I first saw the Starfleet martial arts, which was mostly about retro engineering a fighting style based around fighting like Kirk does in the original series. <laughs> you know, the, the kind of two-handed punch. The, 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 and the wall and the wall jump. Exactly. You just push yourself off a wall. Like clearly like at some point Spock was just kind of pushed into the, into an octagon. And just like, right, okay, cage match. So, was this at a point where Leonard Nimoy would have been up for a fight with uh, Shatner? I I don't know. Like, I am not sure of the history and ego of Mr. Bill Shatner. Mr. Billiam Shatner. Um, whether that came later or whatever. So, I am not sure. I mean, you know, as... Um, as uh, Brad Pitt said in Fight Club, yeah, I'd fight Captain Kirk in a, in a Denny's parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. There were stunt doubles. If, yeah. if the anger was was as real as, um, as it was, maybe they wouldn't have needed that. Maybe they'd just let Leonard nearly kill him and go, fine. So, fine. Bef- before we put this on the big list, yes. what do you think to bring season Ston, who is a slap of spam carved into the image of a, of a humanoid. He looks like the worst elf. You know, he looks like someone has not quite phoned it in, like maybe been dressed by a partner or something for an elf, for a LARP where they're an elf. Like, he, he perpetually has the facial expression of someone who's just eaten a bit of poo. And doesn't know how to respond. I guess, yeah, there's no good logical way to respond. Yeah, eating poo is not logical. No. So why did you do it, Ston? <laughs> why did you? Why did you eat poo, Ston? Yeah. Is this why? Out, to, is, is, is this what Ston? Is this why Dupring likes you because you once ate a bit of poo and she feels sorry for you? Oh God! Wow. Do you know? Uh, do you know what's <laughs> also not logical? Mm. are placing stuff on a big list. Yes, that is rarely logical. And yet, here we are, with a big list of best and worst 
it's currently got 37 items on it with number one emissary from deep space nine a fantastic introduction to the grimier world of ds9 around vaguely around the midpoint we have from recent episodes uh in fact from last episode data law which was where spock spock where data met his dirtbag brother and then all the way spock won't meet his dirtbag brother for a long time to come for us because it is a while until we ever get to star trek 5 the final frontier oh god it is yeah but we will get there as one day this list will have all of Star Trek. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> they keep making it, so that's a bad promise to make. Yeah. And, you know, we we keep doing some fairly good s- series like Deep Space Nine and the original series. And I think we may end up pretending that we never did this at all when it becomes just Enterprise episodes to go. Oh, God. Um, No, I never podcasted. Anyway, bottom of the list, speaking of which, we have Future Tense from Enterprise, the bad Doctor Who-ish, time loop-ish, just a whole bunch of nothing that they slapped together and called an episode. Um, And I'm guessing this is going to be better than that. Oh, yeah. Um, This is a a truly iconic episode, even though the first half of it is a bit, is a little slow going and a little kind of, come on, Spock, just use your words. Kirk, be firmer with Starfleet. And they go around the houses a bit with that. It's still um, a major part of the Star Trek canon. So, like, personally... In my mind, I'm I'm ranking it down a little further because of that slightly weaker first half, but it's still very good. It still yeah belongs to be pretty high up. So to go with other classic Trek, which had like a space Renfair vibe, mm-hmm. is Kirk and Spock's homoerotic fight scene uh, better than Corin Kirk's homoerotic um? Verbal jousting in the space castle of Errand of Mercy, which sits at number fifteen. Oh wow! I I would have put it higher than that. Yeah, yeah. As much as you've got that that kind of fun dynamic between Kor and Kirk, and and yeah, the the whole space castle sort of thing going on. Um, actually, that has a similar element of could you just have used your words with the villagers there? But are like, uh, we're going to be vague. We're going to say we're fine being victimized, not, oh yeah, we're weird cosmic entities. They can't actually do anything to us. Um, I was looking around the motion picture kind of level. Ooh, like, oh, so even so, still in the top ten. Okay. I'm thinking possibly. Like, Ooh. I don't know. We've got motion picture and conscience for King fairly close. Conscience for King is like while it's less iconic, it, it's solid throughout. Like there's not a point where I'm a bit bored. I still rank the Conscience of the King as like my favorite classic Trek episode. Mm. And so, ooh, like because after Conscience of the King, number ten is the Cage, which is the original Star Trek pilot. 
I think it's better than the cage. Again, very iconic episode. Very well. I mean, it's the first Star Trek episode, but all this, all the lore about Vulcans and the fight scene are are such. Like, I wouldn't say fundamental moments because it's only what one other episode where you actually get direct callbacks to it. But yeah, it's. Do you think it still it still sits I, higher than the cage? I definitely think that if anything has to topple the cage, hmm. it might have to be an episode as iconic as a mock time. Okay. Is it as good as the Futurama episode where they where where Fry has to fight Zoidberg? You know what? Yes, but damn it, that's still a fun episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so and worse than Conscience for King, worse than Conscience of the King, better than the Cage. Nice. Yeah, I was gonna say by by dint of being interesting throughout, as fun as gossipy uh, Chekhov and Sulu are, and. I've not seen the rest of the original series. I've seen, I think, one episode beyond what we've seen here. And that's it. So I'm just going to hope that future episodes have those two being all gossipy about where they're going and what's going on. So that means number nine. No, number ten. That's how it works. Things move. Number ten is a mock time. Okay, now... um. Clearly, to celebrate, we will we will jangle our jangly bells like the couple of Morris dancers that we are not. Uh, Morris dancers are the worst. Right. So, Charlie, what is second of our three episodes today? Well, next up, we've got a treat. And this was... Uh, I had no idea about this until you pointed it out to me. Uh, this is Star Trek The Animated Series... Season 1, Episode 7, titled The Infinite Vulcan. And if you don't know about this episode yet, you're in for a treat. Um, This one aired on the 20th of October 1973. It was written by Walter Koenig. It was directed by Hal Sutherland. Walter Koenig? Who's he then? I don't know, just some guy. I think he's a Babylon 5 guy. Yeah, he's, he's better in Babylon 5. Um... And I think this makes it the first time a member of the Star Trek cast ever wrote a Star Trek-related thing. Unlike novel career of William Shatner, Chekhov's not in this one. Yeah, this is not going to become a tech war podcast. Casual. Casual tech. <laughs> oh no, just hearing that makes me kind of want to do it, but then I'd have to read <laughs> tech war. Um, yeah. yeah, so rather than that... Um, the UK and US number one hit, we have the Simon Park Orchestra with Eye Level, the theme from Thames TV's series Vandervolk. Again, if it keeps popping up, I might have to watch an episode. So yeah, and then the US has Rolling Stones with Angie, which I like the Stones, but yeah. It's not what I usually expect to hear from a Stones song. No, no. It wasn't all that exciting. Um, so yes, but what is exciting is the next five minutes. Miles, are you ready to recap that incredible episode? I am. Just give me a second. 
and I do mean incredible in in all of the ways. All right. Okay. Just start me off. Okay. Engage. The Enterprise goes to the planet Phylos uh, to check out if it's going to be colonized. Um, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and hey, they let Sulu come down for this one. Um, Sulu immediately gets stung by a walking plant and is poisoned. While McCoy struggles and fails to save him, a bunch of plant-like aliens turn up and go, Hey, we can help you. Um, the, the leader, Agma, saves Sulu's life. The Phylosians say that they're wiped out by a, a mild terrestrial disease which was brought by the planet by a Dr. Stavos Caniclius, who was a Earth scientist who survived the eugenics wars. Um, a bunch of weird birds with spirally spiral things attack and they fly off with Mr. Spock. Um, Kirk and the others beam back up to the ship. Um, the, discovering that the uh, the flying bird things are actually plant-like birds. They're flying plant birds! So what they do is um, mock up some uh, weed killer and go back down to the planet to try and rescue Spock. Um, they discover that the Felosians are, build, are uncovering a race of spaceships. What could they be doing? Could it be good? Could it be bad? They make their way down into the catacombs of the planet, and they find Spock unconscious on a bed, and it turns out, oh no, his mind has gone. Someone's stolen Spock's brain. But that's not this week. That's a that's a different story altogether. And then a giant appears, a giant man. He's actually Caniculus himself, but he calls himself Caniculus Five. And he has been building, he has been trying to clone a master race. That never ends well. And he presents a giant Vulcan. It's a giant clone of Spock. Now, um, Charlie, are you familiar with the cartoon Steven Universe? Not at all. Okay, because there is a song in that show called Giant Woman. And the moment I remembered we were doing this episode, I could not get this out of my head. And all I'm thinking is when Kirk sees the giant Spock, he just thinks to himself, all I want to do is see you turn into a giant falcon, a giant falcon. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant falcon. But thankfully, we are spared Shatner's singing in this episode. And it turns out that Caniculus wants to build a master race to bring peace throughout the galaxy and Kirk and to do this he has taken Spock and put his brain into a giant body because you know what will bring us peace in the galaxy giant clones sure ah. whatever go with it uh, Kirk's like yeah but the Federation is already at peace we don't need a giant master race of clones to, to dictate law and order, and uh, Caniculus goes, but what about the Klingons and the Romulans and the Kazinti? And Kirk's like, yeah, what about them? They, they're our enemies, but we live at peace with them. Anyway, I don't care about that. Spock's dying. The, the, the regular Spock, because I guess um, without his brain in his body, um, the, you know, uh, you know, the, I guess the body's just going to shut down or something. Um, the, the giant Spock 
immediately relents and puts his brain back into the original Spock's body, and Caniclius is like, okay, you've convinced me. I won't do a master race today. Instead, I will help the Fallujian plant people, who I seem to have screwed over. Meanwhile, Sulu's there. He doesn't do much because they can't animate it. And Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Sulu leave the planet. Where's Chekhov? He's not in this show. We couldn't afford him. Wow. So, yeah. Oh! Uh, with two seconds to spare, it does feel a bit like we're both trying to anticipate the uh, the time. So, uh, Charlie, I've got a question for you. Okay. Would you have your, your, your brain uploaded into a giant clone of yourself? My partner has banned me from getting my brain put into a giant robot spider. Right. Um, but to be honest, the main thing about that is the robot spider. A giant version of myself is still going to be an overweight, balding man who is... Um, Dyspraxic? Yeah, yeah. God, imagine the destruction I'd cause. <sighs> the destruction you would do to Moleskoom. Well, to, to the world. The world. Um, so, Miles. Yes, Charlie? Point A in this plan is giant clones. Giant clones. Step, step one, giant clones. Step two, question mark. Step three, galactic universal peace. Yeah. I'm... So, the thing is, right, if this was, say, ancient Greece or something, and... A giant came along and said, be peaceful. You'd be like, oh my fucking God, it's a giant. I best be peaceful. If you're in a spacefaring civilization that can blow up planets, a spaceship opening up and a giant getting out of it going, be peaceful. I'm more relevant than a regular sized version of me saying this. You could just blow it up. See, um... I, I think Walter Koenig may have cribbed slightly from the day the Earth stood still. The um the Robert Wise science fiction film with Gort. The one about Hattu, giant, Verata, giant clones of Leonard Nimoy spreading peace throughout the galaxy. Look, giant clones of Leonard Nimoy would either be doing like his one man performance of Vincent van Gogh or singing the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. And I if there isn't... And if there's one thing that will bring the universe together, it's the story, in the land of a shire, there's a brave little hobbit who we all admire, with his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolen toes, he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him. Bilbo! Bilbo Baggins! He's only a fucking giant! Bilbo! Yeah! You know, that, yeah, that, that, hey, that, I... that'll bring peace. Okay, okay, no wonder he was waiting for, for Spock to come along. Like, it, it was either going to be that or Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Yeah, that might work. Giant, giant clone Bruce of Bruce... Yeah. Giant clone of... Yeah, giant clone of... Do you know what, what would it work? Hmm? Bruce Forsyth. Uh. Giant clone of, of Brucey wouldn't work. You'd need to kill it. It could be worse. 
a giant clone of Noel Edmonds. Uh, The worry would be that would be followed by Giant Mr. Blobby. And again, much like Giant Dyspraxic Charlie clone, (laughs) Giant Mr. Blobby, the the path of destruction would be immeasurable. See, but then you'd have to clone something much more annoying than Mr. Blobby. So that would be how we get a giant Mr. Blobby fighting a giant James Corden. I mean, whoever wins. We lose. <laughs> this this episode is dumb. Oh my god, it this is. Ep- this, this episode is dumb. It's so dumb. I, I, love I, it. I, I love it. I love it. It's, um... <laughs> so, like, have you read much Silver Age Legion of Superheroes? I have read no Silver Age Legion of Superheroes. It's this. I, it's, it's this. exactly this. They get turned to babies. Um... Their method of selecting people to go on a mission is uh, a diorama of a solar system and a planet flies off and bonks someone on the head and that person's been picked. It is utterly ludicrous. And these kind of, like, you've landed on a planet, there's a race of weird plant people and there's a cloning facility where the plan is make giant person now. It is 100% what I would expect from a 50s, 60s era Legion comic. Um, I, I love this. And it is so, so stupid. My only, my only upset is that we didn't get to see Giant Spock doing anything violent. But it's Spock. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> he, he picks up Kirk and that's about it. Yeah. Like... It's not really infinite, is it? No, the big Vulcan, which the, the, doesn't really gi- sound right. Giant Vulcan. Like, Spock 2. They, they could have called it Spock 2, Giant Boogaloo. When you said to me, let's do a Spock episode, and then we're like, Giant Vulcan. I heard your words. I got excited. I wasn't prepared to actually see Giant Vulcan. See, this this would have been, like, one of the first episodes of original era Trek that I ever saw. <laughs> because, like, I this was a blockbuster. This was a blockbuster video rental back in the day of, like, the first, four ep- the first few episodes of Star Trek The Animated Series. And, sadly, this is not how Star Trek goes. There, there is a disturbingly small amount of episodes of Star Trek where characters get their brains put into giant versions of themselves. Huh. Surprising, like, really. Like, you know, we don't get an episode of DS9 where O'Brien gets his brain put into a giant version of Miles O'Brien. Because, let's be honest, for him, that'll be Tuesday. Oh, God, John O'Brien would be amazing. Okay, right. Other shows. Who would you make giant? Um, Riker. <laughs> giant Riker, just so he can try and sit, just so he can like mount a mountain to sit on it. Oh, that would be glorious. All right. What about you? Oh God. So yeah, I think the problem is my instinct for Voyager would be like get someone like Harry Kim because when when something wacky goes on it's like uh, oh no oh I've been put in another reality or something Harry Kim is very good fish out of water but 
Giant, Giant Neelix. Giant Neelix. <laughs> Giant Neelix. What's he going to cook? Is it going to be people? Probably. Like, I wouldn't put it past him. Giant Neelix. It would Giant be Neelix. Yes. <sighs> like, um, yeah. This, this apparently, out of the, the many, out of the 12 animated series episodes, there, there was the one when Spock goes back in time. Also on that original VHS tape, or Giant Vulcan. And when else are we going to get a chance to talk about Giant Bloody Vulcan? Oh my god, yeah. Um, and of course, they even bring the Giant Vulcan back, because one thing missed out from that recap is the body, the body swap, brain swap thing isn't... Like, it's a mind... What is it? Using his Vulcan mind touch... It's it's Spock. it's copy and paste. He basically yeah. Vulcan copy and paste his brain, which means there is still a giant Spock, as well as a regular sized Spock. Actually, well, by the time of Lower Decks, Giant Spock is dead because you can see a giant Spock corpse in one of the episodes. It took me until. Like, I'd forgotten about that until I was thinking about, hang on, they've left a giant Spock on the planet. Does someone do something about that? Oh, uh, oh, that's where the giant skeleton of Spock came from in Lower yep. Decks. Yeah, yeah, I was very slow that day. Um, but yes, wow, I, I love that that deep cut from Lower Decks. And I love for for many years... There is a giant Spock just on a planet making sure that a mad scientist doesn't do a master race. <sighs> like, does that Spock miss his previous life in Starfleet? Does he go, I'm pleased I got the Ponfar out of my system because otherwise I'd need to find a giant spaceship, fly to Vulcan, and like the fight for death would be a lot easier, but. For marriage, I mean, I'm I'm sure some people would be into that. <laughs> uh, if you go to four chan, more than likely. Oh dear! So, so yeah. clearly, this is number one on the big list. Obviously, obviously, dude. Obviously, <laughs> we found it. We we found one to top emissary is Infinite Vulcan. Okay, seriously, because <laughs> you know. If, if someone's going to ask me, it's like, hey, do you want to pick an episode? Can you pick an episode of Star Trek which best encompasses the ideals and politics and the universe of Star Trek? And I could go, I could. But instead, here's an episode where Spock gets his brain put into a giant fucking clone of himself. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can I... Could... I recommend you instead the closest thing that I've ever seen to classic Legion of Superheroes shenanigans. Sure, Starfleet, all the depth, all of the kind of post-scarcity worlds, all of that. No, mate. No. No, no, no. You've not lived until you've seen a giant Vulcan. This this is what um, the, the new Trek haters say when they want Trek to be not political. <laughs> I mean, this was a little political. <laughs> okay, so yeah, there's the, the whole master race thing. But you're just brilliant. It's a good master race. It's a nice master race. 
See, I was reading an issue of X-Men the other day, and Senator Kelly was saying about... Oh, God. Jo- jo- the okay. ...question. And any time someone says the a race of people question, they're bad. Similarly, any time anyone says about a master race, they're going to be bad, unless they're people that like there being a master race are lunatics. Like, that's so, the only uh, time it's good. Quick X-Men question. Go on. Giant Vulcan. Oh, God. Okay, so that's a question more of a declarative statement. It's a declarative statement, surely. Like, a regular-sized Vulcan is bad enough already as, like, the worst of the Summers family, who... I love the Summers family, but that's a list with a lot of candidates (laughs) for the worst one. You know, basically all of them but Adam X, who can do no wrong. (laughs) Who can do no wrong, right. Okay. so from from giant Vulcan to the giant list. So my my where does eyes, this go? Yeah, my first thought here was crossover because I lost my Wait. shit at Odo exploding, <laughs> and I spent most of a lunch break. Like these aren't long episodes, but no. I spent a lot of time going giant Vulcan. When I saw it, I, I came away beaming, going, there was a giant Vulcan! Hey, that's that's some satisfaction after an episode, you know? Alright, Um. so you want to put this as, like, number 13? I mean, like, is it is it better than crossover and Odo exploding? Like, objectively, I, no, but... I, Bob, but here's the thing. I I think the next episode on the list, which is episode fourteen, which is the episode of Discovery, magic to make the sanest man go mad. Oh, that was great as well. See, I see. I think if there's any kind of magic to make the sanest man truly go mad, it's a giant Vulcan. That's difficult logic to fight. Like I think, I think to be honest, all three of those meet the kind of walking out the door test. The if I can. If I put on a single episode of a Star Trek, I'm going to have a great time with any of those three. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I, Fine, number the thing is, going uh, magic make the sanest man go mad. For, not only is the title long and unwieldy, but describing it is unwieldy. Where with this one... So, Infinite Vulcan. What's it about? Giant Vulcan. Giant Vulcan. There you right. go. That's it. Absol- okay, so fourth in the list. I have one last question. Okay. Given that this is a filmation cartoon, and anyone who watched enough He-Man cartoons would know, at the end of nearly every filmation cartoon, they'd have a terrible tacked-on moral, which had very little to do with the story itself. Mm-hmm. What tacked on moral do you think should have accompanied accompanied giant vulcan uh don't fuck around with plants that you don't know about don't put mustard on a cat what don't put mustard on a cat you know you know some of those morals had no bearing to the actual story itself don't make a master race that's fair that's That's fair I felt don't don't make a master race was handled in episode. The mustard cat thing, like, is this the voice of experience talking? 
Um, I can't say. Uh, Willie is glaring at me. Oh dear. And I signed a non-disclosure agreement. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. I don't know. Um, okay. Sulu, don't touch shit that you don't know. Yeah. God. This is why they keep him behind the uh, the con at the bridge. Yeah. I mean, he'll just keep poking at things. Like, although they did give Sulu a nice uh, moment where he winks the camera and could basically say, oh my. Yeah. 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 That was good. And so, our last episode is an episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 1, season one Episode 5, Spock and Mock, which aired 2nd of June, 2022, written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Robin Wasserman, and directed by Rachel Lieterman. And we have for our number one hits of UK and US, um, our first for the UK, it was Harry Styles with As It Was. It's fine. It's alright. I've fine. never really paid attention to his work. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, uh, aside from Don't Worry Darling, which... Mm. But, yeah, it was better than I thought it was going to be. And then, in the US, the number one was Jack Harlow with First Class, and I liked the tune. I didn't really like the song. Yes, I think it's stuck in my head a bit more mainly for the take on me kind of um, like tune going on. That's that's the tune I was, I couldn't get stuck at him. I I was wondering what it was. I spent the whole song going, "What is it? I know it's a thing. I know it's an eighties thing. I can't remember what it is." And yeah, it was that. It it took me about a day to realize. Um, so yeah. I guess that one wins for having stuck in my head for so long. On on the plus side, it wasn't uh, the musical artist who shall not be named. Yes, lest our, our podcast crash again. Yep. So, all right. Are you ready, Charlie? Yep. Time it going and engage. Cool, so we're on Vulcan, and it's similar to how we saw it in the fight in a mock time. We've got the jingly bells, we've got the gong, we've got to pring, we've got Spock, and a big wedding ceremony. But Shiz said, I can't marry you, you're a human, because Shiz a bit bigoted like that. And yeah, sure enough, we pan back, and he has human ears. Oh no, she mentions it's time for a marriage fight. And summons up a Vulcan version of Spock who kicks his ass. It looks very bad for human Spock. And then he wakes up. Oh, it's all right. He's still half human, half Vulcan. He's on the Enterprise. He's got his ears. Phew. Obviously, he's a bit nervous. And we find out why. It's because T'Pring's visiting. His work interrupted things last time. Now, he's going to have to be on extra good boyfriend behavior. And this is all pre-credits, so we know it's going to go well. Uh, the Enterprise itself is, in theory, at rest after a gone problem in a previous episode. But there's also going to be a diplomatic talk with the Rongovians. There are valuable people who border the Romulan and Klingon empires. So it's a bit understandable that not only have they good to get on your side but they're a little intense not just that but they're here already they 
they want to speak to Pike and they vacillate between happy to be there and a bit punchy. They're a bit perplexed at how uh, society can have so many voices instead of just a person in charge. Meanwhile, Chaplin and Ortegas are getting, aren't getting involved with any of this. They're going on shore leave. They summon a busy Mbenga to join them, and he has an incredibly embarrassing fishing hat. They re- all remark on their way down to the planet that Una and Lan, who are there to tick boxes when everyone's beaming down, that their nickname is Where Fun Goes to Die, which is a bit long, but apparently very true. Una's hurt by this. And Lan doesn't seem to care. And we're going to detour to this, which for B-plot, which is a bit of good fun. Because of all this, when the pair catch a couple of rookies futzing with the lifts, they find out about something called Enterprise Bingo and decide, okay, we can be fun, or at least learn what fun looks like, and try it out. And uh, they all do, well, they do this... um, by going through a laundry list of different tasks or pranks to do. They use the transporters to get chewed gum flavorful again. They race to get the computer to respond to their lift commands first in a kind of dual thing, and they hit each other with phases at a low level. It's fun and good, but they need to find a new way to break the rules because they're not really breaking any rules. They're in charge and can do all of this. Um... Instead, they make a force field outside the Enterprise, even though it's in space, and they walk on the saucer and find the Scorch, the oldest part of the hull, which is apparently good luck to sign. They do that, despite being out in technically space, and uh, we'll put a pin in them for there. With the A-plot, Spock tells to Pring something's come up. Negotiations are going to make him a bit busy. To bring his unhappy, she cooked a nice meal for them both and everything. Oh dear. Uh, Chapel is on the planet side and avoids her own relationship responsibilities with uh, a guy who wants to define the relationship and decides to help Spock out instead. Suggest- One minute left. Great. Suggests maybe walking in her shoes a bit. And Spock says, okay, to bring. Let's do a Vulcan soul sharing. This is, I guess, a thing when you're a telepathic race. And Pring is up for this. But, oh no, it all goes awry. It's time for a Freaky Friday. And um, unlike a lot of Freaky Friday type TV show episodes, they deal with it relatively calmly, being, you know, one and a half Vulcans between them. And they kind of try and work out how best to deal with this. There's a slight problem, though. They've both got work to do. Pring has some issues on the planet dealing with a guy who needs to be brought in for too much emotions. And Spock has this Rongovian negotiation to deal with as well. Pring isn't a fan of this. She doesn't like hijinks. Dump her Spock. If she's not up for hijinks, she's not worth it. Time. Great. I mean, that's pretty much the statement. That I wanted to go out on there. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So. Um. Yes. There we go. Step one is going. Cool. So hijinks. Luckily, we get several of them. Spock in Spring's body has to speak to Chapel and go. Oh, I've goofed. I've messed up. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. And Chapel's like, Well, just be to Spring. 
you wanted to be to Pring, right? Or at least to understand to Pring's deal. And so, fine, okay. He also didn't click, really, for the issues of being in his fiance's body and gets less problematic with it than, say, John Crichton did in Farscape. But anyway, no time for that. Spock into Pring's body arrives at a mediation with um, Barjan to try and talk him back into emotion gel. And it's a mixed bag, especially when Spock ends up just punching him, knocking him out. That's not going to look good in T'Pring's report, but it gets the job done. At the same time, T'Pring, in Spock's body, goes to the mediation with the Rongovians, and they seem a lot more logical, a lot more chill. Pike begins to realise what's gone on here. And um, we kind of get some vague hints about that. We'll conclude them later. After all this, Spock in T'Pring's body and T'Pring in Spock's body see Mabenga and Nurse Chapel, who put some weird stuff on their heads and shock them into having their brains retreat back into their heads where they belong. It works. They're back in their bodies. And Spock shares that he's accepted being in Starfleet rather than being... I'm half Vulcan Spock or half human Spock. And he kind of loves that. And T'Pring mentions, you know, that's good, but they're both going to have to want this relationship, which we've seen the aftermath of. I'm sure it's going to go great. Back to the negotiation, though. Pike actually takes the lead and says, yeah, Rongovians shouldn't join the Federation. We're only interested in territory. You'll get our enemies and, you know, technological uplifting. And that's great. And all of this kind of thing. But here are also the bad reasons. They thank him. They leave. And Robert April seems a bit peeved until they all see the Rongovian sail ship flying the Federation flag. Yes, the power of empathy has won the day as Pike has done what so few people have with Rongovians. He's realized that they mirror the emotional state of anyone coming to speak to them. And in his eyes, he's taken the first step and said, actually, here's what's in your interests rather than what's in ours. And um, yeah, it seems to have worked. They sail away, watched by Una and Lan at the end of their subplot uh, out on the, the top of the uh, saucer and ignored by Spock and T'Pring, who have evidently made up, and by Chaplin Ortegas. And yeah, it was a nice bit of wonder at the end. So yeah, that's that's it. I, okay, that would be three minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, I'm, I'm back to my old... My old old running tricks. I I do have to correct you. They don't intentionally mirror the emotional state. Go on. Like they bring it up, but they he also says like he thought that at first, and then it's yeah, basically you... they they try and see it from other people's point of view. That's so they're it. looking to see, yeah. So if you go in all irritable and forceful, like meeting Lan for the first time, they're going to be irritable. irritable. And forceful back. If you go at them logically, yeah, they yeah. they see it through your eyes, effectively. That pretty much, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So overall, this was you know a nice bit of hijinks. It was a sure leave episode, and we don't 
like I guess in the in the much more serialized ones, uh, we haven't really had that sort of that sort of episode so much. No, it, like in the like Discovery and Picard, you never we don't really get the downtime episodes. I'm trying to remember when we first started this project, this grand undertaking. Did I mention how much I disliked when Star Trek did comedy? I'm sure that's come up. Oh God, yes, that was that was an early, an early yeah, one. That was because Clark, I think because I I swear the, the, we the show is proving me when I'm is showing me when I'm wrong, which makes me dread that eventually the bad comedy episodes are going to have to be dealt with. Because yeah. this this was a delightful comedy of errors and of manners. Yeah, I think I was going into Strange New Worlds expecting to like it because I'd wanted something like it enough to actually watch the Orville. And um and yeah, I it really followed through with things like this. It's got a couple of plots. It's got, you know, they're all on shore leave or doing a negotiation or the Enterprise bingo, like that as well. Just a slight bit of, you know, you almost never see the Lower Decks people outside of the episode of the show called Lower Decks, yeah. But seeing these rookies who, you know, like, Lan makes one of them cry in the interrogation. She makes basically a child cry. And I admit, I like Lan. She gives, she gives that good, like... Paris Geller from uh, from Gilmore Girls Energy, and I'm there for that. But um, yeah, the the Enterprise Bingo and Una and Lan trying to have fun was so awkward um, and great for it. I yeah, I, I you have like three separate plots kind of going, but you always have a lot of the of like ongoing character stuff. Well, Mbenga getting getting a nice little bit of time fishing. Mbenga going to wear a hat. Yeah, it was a shit hat, but it was a lovely moment given what we know his his life in the whole back half of the season is going to be like. Yeah, like I, I like one of the things I do kind of like about modern the modern iteration of Star Trek is that they do try and make the characters feel like real people and not mm. just heroic action figures or heroic pulp heroes and sometimes with discovery um i feel like that they're trying it comes off a little bit more cringy because a lot of the characters take so long to get developed and with strange new worlds i think all the characters have pretty much been developed and given equal time to show what they're like from the get-go so when you have them kind of bantering with Mbenga's Hatter in the transporter room, it it feels like it. Whenever Star Trek usually does comedy, it never really works because you don't believe that these characters can do something stupid. Yeah, you can't. And see so them being flawed. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and um, yeah, like Chaplin and Ortegas were good fun. Uh, Chapel giving relationship advice while evidently being the worst at them. Um, mostly, I guess, to distract herself from from stuff. I I do have one kind of complaint mm. with the episode. 
And it's really, I feel like Strange, again, with Modern Trek, and definitely with Strange New Worlds, um, given that it's a, fro it's a throwback to the original series, which had a very much different attitude and treatment of character of uh, of female characters and gender politics, and is very much trying to course correct. Watching this, I'm kind of like, how does how does the relationship between Spock and Chapel in Strange New Worlds it doesn't really fit with what we've seen in the original show, where Nurse Chapel very evidently wants a slice of that infinite Vulcan, but it's more of a pining from afar. They, they seem like distant strangers than people who hang out as actual friends as they are in this, in this, in this episode, in this season. It's a tricky one. Like, the, the thing is, I guess, overall, a lot of the issues about things like gender politics and the like in, in the original series, I kind of view it in that the same way as I view the cardboard sets yeah. and go it's it's the eyes of the 1960s seeing the same world so we it's different in this interpretation the same way that you know you've got your 80s version with your, your nice pine wooden dashboard kind of things you've got Supring who is stern but is reasonable in all her issues with their relationship who's essentially going to become murderous femme fatale when we see her in a mock time i'm i'm sure this is something the writers are considering it just kind of feels weird especially since i had to watch both episodes in relatively quick succession it's definitely an interesting one seeing uh, seeing them together because you get the you get the idea that yeah she is someone who is fairly fairly good and shrewd thought wise but also um, I don't know I figured that the relationship would have been wrecked by all of this and then that had set things up that yeah even though they are technically married she's going to go back and Ston's going to be kind of there you know, to help her out in her hour of need and all that. And then years later, but um, this is season one. So when they didn't have some kind of not quite even breakup, but distancing, you know, some, um, I figured, okay, you know, we got that to come, I guess. So, yeah, I, I'm, I wasn't in a rush to have that resolved yeah I, I it's just kind of it's it's just one of those kind of weird sort of oddities that i just end up picking up on because i have no life <laughs> well but on the whole yeah i was just going to say like her job is basically getting vulcans who have opted to be emotional who have decided they're not dealing with any of this and get them to kind of see the light or go to emotion jail or whatever Going out with a well, being engaged to a half human, I I can understand the frustration there because that puts him borderline to the level of the crims the thought criminal yeah. she's dealing with. So yeah, it's it's an odd state to be in. But no, it's it, it's always good to see hijinks. 
Yeah. And hijinks meant and hijinks mentioned. And I also love how both um Pike and Chapel just kind of react in hysterical disbelief. <laughs> yes. I mean we've <laughs> we've said before that for Starfleet this is Tuesday. Like, this is Tuesday. We've got a whole handbook on body swap issues. But you know, when you're under time pressure, so well <laughs> I guess it's time for hijinks. Yep, and it's it's probably called hijinks. The book is the book in the situation probably is called hijinks ensue. Yeah, like section five in the hijinks manual is a Freaky Friday situation. Is body swap? Yeah, yeah. So you've been yeah. body swapped. I, who hasn't? Ultimate. Oh, sorry, you're new. Okay, it's okay. going to happen a few times. Have you time travelled yet? And I think by the end of it. Like, I was enjoying the hijinks, but that moment, like, as hokey as the uh, Varongovians leaving and hoisting up the flag on the sail ship, um, it didn't matter that it was a bit of a hokey moment for me. Like, seeing yeah. the sail past, going through our stories that we have seen this episode, it was like, Space is, is big and terrible and threatening. You've got all sorts of weird god entities and crystalline entities and all of that, but sometimes it can just be fucking beautiful. Yep. And just go, oh yeah. This is this is what they're here this, for. This is nice. This is why yeah. we watch the show. Yeah, definite God. So many of those New Worlds episodes had that feeling for me of like, yeah. I like this. This is a Star Trek. This is, you know, this and not Broken Bow or why I'm here. <laughs> but there's also the other reason why we're watching the show. Yes. To put it on the big list. So where does this go? Oh my. Well, um, yeah. This yeah. This is another good one. Like, I think we kind of need to start watching some bad Star Trek. Because I kind of worried that we're um we're front loading too too much too soon. You saw Infinite Vulcan, and you're like, I want to watch Spock's Be- brain. Best episode. Look, I I I always want to watch Spock's brain, and I admit, like a good chunk of that is like the um the tinfoil kinky boots that all the ladies wear in that in that episode. Fair. But like, I had to watch Spock's brain. Okay, we can watch Spock's brain. But, like, you know, you want to watch... I, I don't know. Like, I'm thinking the really bad episodes. Like, um, that one where Pork has, uh, you know, sexual reassignment surgery and has to pretend to be a woman. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, oh dear. I forgot about that one. Right. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll table any conversations of that for when we... I don't know. When... Star Trek does a gender episode or something. Who knows? Oh, like for better oh, or worse. All right. So, is this in the? Would you say this is the teens or twenties? Oh, I'd say teens. Teens. All right. Like this was a good one. Hmm. So yeah, we've got. Let's see. We've got the relationship stuff. We got the body swap stuff. We got the the difficult negotiations. These are all good. Like what I'm trying to find what is comparable here. So at the moment from this episode, we have a new number ten 
we have a new number 14 with a mock time and the infinite Vulcan, right? Would you put this better than giant Spock? And I know this is comparing two very different things. Uh, ooh. I think I would. Mm. But is, is it better than Odo fucking exploding? Oh, God. Because that's that was funnier than I expected it to be. That was a lot more hijinks. I expected a dour kind of crossover world or anything like that because it had been years since I saw it. And that was a wacky one. That was yeah. Um, Although, part of, me, part of me wants to say number 14 just for the unintentional hijinks of putting Infant Vulcan on the list at number 14 just to immediately have it knocked down a peg by the next episode we talk about. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so I think it's that thing of there were more hijinks and I think better quality hijinks in this episode. But, yeah. But at the same time, it it feels more controlled than crossover. Yeah. It just takes its toys and goes nuts with it. So I guess it's like that's where the comparisons differ. Yeah. Are we are we saying yes, like DS9 took these things, they threw them at a wall, and one of them exploded in, in a dramatic fashion. Because you know that 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 was a good one. Did you hear? That was a good oh, one. Exploded in it. Oh, it exploded. You fucking exploded. You know, it's it's like you know, in Friends title, it's the one where Odo fucking explodes. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, th- and, and, and this is the one where no one likes Mbenga's hat. Oh. Okay. Like, I'm I'm good putting it as the new 14, not only as a slight to giant Spock, but also because crossover is is still a bit more a bit more iconic. Alright. Number fourteen it is then. Excellent. Okay. That that was a top heavy episode. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so as I drag this to the new spot, all that leaves us to do is uh to play us out. Alright. So, God, Miles, where can the good people check out more of your work, especially if they want you talking about Star Trek. Well, I am currently writing weekly reviews or opinions, honestly. Um, weekly opinions on <laughs> Season 3 of Star Trek Picard on my my blog on mareadlobato that's one word, dot wordpress dot com. You can also, begrudgingly, find me on Twitter at, at manmiles and that's pretty much where you can find me in ways that aren't creepy or stalkery. Cool. Well, for me, I'm also, for my sins on Twitter, I'm trying to be a bit more regular at uh, posting the Daily X-Men as my marathon continues, whether I post about it or not. So I may as well subject everyone to it, especially the Chris Claremont Revolution era, which if I have to deal with it you guys have to as well uh i'm found at charlie underscore en on twitter i am also found on faked tales where i will post about my quest to read every rpg that i've kickstarted which is a worrying amount 
and um, generally about comics and games and hopefully about my upcoming Explosion High. So quick question about your X-Men. Um, how long until you hit Morrison? April. April, okay. Not long. Chris Claremont's return, his first return, only lasted maybe a year, maybe 13 months. So yeah, it's not long now, and I, I can't wait. The thing is, it's Grant Morrison, it's Chris Claremont again, and it's Chuck Austin. So it's oh. <laughs> it's going to be a fun time. <laughs> so yeah, also, if you like the show, but not us, you can follow Casual Trek Pod on Twitter. You could even throw in some gold-pressed latinum at our Kofi again, check them show notes and if you do that you can request an episode for us to cover not spock's brain it's on the list already but anything else be it you know ones involving weird lizardy things happening to janeway or paris or anything else that we're desperately desperately putting off so yeah yeah that's it from us and um yeah, whether you've whether you're giant or not, go do a Starfleet. And live long. And have a jelly baby. Future Charlie here. I've realized we've not said what next time's episode's going to be. And it's ooh, it's a good one. Crack open your gamer juice. It's Casual Trek Gamer Edition. Casual Trek is part of the Nerd and Tie Network. It's written by me, Charlie Etheridge Nunn, by Miles Reed Lobato, and the opening music was by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. So it's going to be, and it's, ooh, it's a good one. Crack open your gamer juice. It's Casual Trek Gamer Edition. Casual Trek is part of the Nerd and Tie Network. It's written by me, Charlie Etheridge Nunn, by Miles Reed Lobato, and the opening music was by Alfred Etheridge Nunn.